Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Ultra Hope Girls. Today, we're going to be talking about case four in game one. Just so you know, this episode will spoil... Chapter four of Trigger Happy Havoc. Thanks for tuning in with us again, and we're excited to get going. I'm Maddie. I'm Marin. And I'm Caroline. And we're the Ultra Hope Girls. One. Two. Welcome to the Dong and Rumpa Podcast. You're on the threshold of an amazing episode. Showtime. Before we begin, we'd like to give a content warning about the themes of suicide contained in this chapter. If you feel symptoms of depression, anxiety, and or suicidal thoughts or actions, please reach out to a trusted adult or peer and get the support that you need. If you do not feel you have anyone you can talk to, you can also call the suicide hotline at 1-800-273-8255. We hope that you know that the Ultra Hope Girls are sending you our love and support always. This is the case where Sakura is revealed to be the traitor and she commits suicide in an attempt to save her friends. All right, folks, we're back. We're back, we baby. <laughs> with another case. Yeah, exciting. I always love yes. these episodes. Yeah, yeah, these are these are my fave to film, I think. Yeah, same. Always learn something new. Yeah. All right. So where do we want to start off? I mean, I feel like new information, like yeah, that we learn would be Absolutely. good. I have a little list if you want me to. So we, a new floor has opened in the school. We got the fourth floor now that people can explore. Um, there's a music room. There's a chem lab. There, is, there are also a few rooms that are still locked on the fourth floor. We find a room called the data center that is locked. And there's also the headmaster's office that people cannot get into. Um, there's also a new rule that Matakuma adds to say that breaking down a locked door is prohibited. And as we know, prohibited things in the Danganronpa universe result in execution. So that becomes kind of a big deal. We also find a new, a new picture, a mysterious picture of Sayaka, Celeste, and Hifumi um, supposedly, you know, hanging out, whatever, doing things in front of the windows of Hope's Hope Speak Academy, but the windows are not boarded up. And so just like the last picture we found of Leon, Chihiro, and Mondo, um, we find this other suspicious picture suggesting that they somehow know each other. I thought that <laughs> the way that picture was described was kind of funny because Makoto says something like, they're smiling the way you'd expect any normal teenager to smile. But like the picture, if you look at the picture, Celeste is like <laughs> sneering and like grabbing Hifumi by the eyeballs. And it's like... <laughs> It's like, yeah, they're having a grand old time. <laughs> Not a cell phone in sight. <laughs> oh my God. Um, so that was kind of funny to me, but yeah. Those pictures were, are really interesting, and we don't know if they're real or if Monokuma is faking them. The, the kids seem to think that they're, they're faking them. Um, but it was super interesting to me because in both pictures, all of the people included are dead, and I just wondered do they have pictures of every grouping of people? Because, you know, it's very convenient that the two pictures that have come out are people who cannot confirm or deny whether or not the picture was taken. Um, and so I, I just like to think of Monokuma like shuffling through his picture stack and going, ah, yes, these are the three who are no longer with us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a fair point. It's like, it seems awfully convenient. Something that also kind of took me by surprise when I was, you know, playing through this uh, next early part of chapter four was um, Hero's hamburger abduction. Um, I have that as a note as well. <laughs> I was like, uh, sir, what is going on? I Anyway, um, that is not in the anime. That's <laughs> <laughs> for confirmed. sure. Also the fact um, we learned that his house was burnt down because his dad was smoking in bed. Yeah. Wow. Yep. He's got a really interesting backstory. Um, he kind of does. I will say, I was not the biggest fan of Hero in this case, um, and specifically in this chapter, because he calls Sakura the ogre every single time he refers to her. Like, not once does he give her, like, the benefit of recognizing her as, like, a person. I know. That was so frustrating. It's, yeah, it's pretty terrible. <laughs> yeah. Um, I have the last thing I had on the list of like new information that we find um, in this chapter before we get to kind of the big reveal of the chapter is that Alter Ego has unlocked all the files that were on the laptop. 
um, and we find out that a plan was put in place at Hope Speak Academy to, quote, isolate the students of Hope Speak Academy and create a communal life for them, end quote. And so the plan was for the students to supposedly live there for the rest of their lives. This plan was created by the administrators of the school because of an event that happened one year ago, which we uh, was kind of alluded to before, um, the biggest, most awful, most tragic event in human history, aka the tragedy. And supposedly the headmaster of the school is the one who finalized this plan, um, could be the mastermind of the whole situation, a man in his late 30s, we learn, and is supposedly somewhere in the school as well. Yeah, and it really, I think, points to him being the mastermind at this point. I mean, he, someone who they haven't met, who's controlling, or who's not controlling, but who's behind the scenes, like that is a very suspicious person, I think, um, in their minds, because, you know, why is there an adult hiding somewhere in the school and not presenting them, like themselves to the kids if they're all in this horrible situation? Right. Yeah. My next thing is like free time before we find out about Sakura. So um, I, because we actually just taped our interview with Jason Wishnob, I was like, you know what? Let's spend some free time with Byakuya this time. Your beauty is beyond compare with golden locks and skin so fair. Ooh, Byakuya Togami, Byakuya Togami. So there are a couple of things I found out in my free time with Byakuya. Um, one is that he has had to battle 15 before for his current position, um, which is something that was very interesting to me because it definitely puts some perspective into how he's approaching this game. And I think a lot of his behavior in this chapter can be um, like boiled down to that as well, which I'm sure we'll get to that later. Absolutely. Um, right. But another thing is that his family, the way that they... Um, reproduce is they have multiple wives throughout the world that they that they like have children with and it's not like it's not like a monogamous situation it's like a polyamorous situation and so that is good news for all of the ultra hope girls here because now we can be sister wives (laughs) 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 i wonder how toko's gonna feel about that Uh i know i was gonna say y'all think i want to share (laughs) i'm just kidding um but that was just kind of i don't know the especially the 15 battle thing was very interesting to me though yes that comes into play a lot because we see in byakuya a huge kind of shift in perspective at the end of this chapter um that is like surprising but considering where he was like everything that he's been through in his life all he's ever known is competition all he's ever known is like i have to win i have to defeat everyone he has never had an experience where he's had to actually work together with somebody else. And so it kind of explains how he sees this game. Like he can't wrap his head around the idea of self-sacrifice as we learn at the end of this trial. He can't wrap his head around that because he's never seen things that way. So I, I have a quote from him that he says during the trial that he says, honeyed words like friendship don't matter here. What matters is outwitting the opponent, defeating them, not a person alive would sacrifice themselves for another. In the end, we're all in it for ourselves. That's his perspective. But he turns out to be wrong. This is true. Right. So we learn who the spy is. Yes, we do. Sakura. Um, yeah. And she, um, you know, there were a couple of things that I thought were interesting about the scene where we find out Sakura is the spy. Um, somebody, I don't know who, I forgot to write it down, but somebody says betrayal would be met with betrayal. It's Monokuma. Monokuma. Mm-hmm. And then another like a couple of things that make me just immediately trust her still even though we learn this information about her is that she admits it she doesn't try to deny it mm-hmm. um and yeah. they mentioned sakura's like that something is being kept hostage which we learn what that is later and she is challenging the mastermind and she says she's going to challenge um challenge them yeah actually i want to go back on what i said it's not monokuma monokuma says um after they come out of the bathroom or the sauna um room um he says like uh an eye for an eye and a fang for a fang and he's like you do something to me i'll do something back and then during the trial um makoto puts it together and he says oh it's a betrayal for a betrayal yeah i I think too um i have written this note that just says sakura is the motive the victim and the killer yeah. Of this. Wow. Yeah. That's really wow. 
Yeah. <laughs> it's wild. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, I thought it was really interesting how everyone reacted when they found out that Sokka was the traitor and specifically Toko because Toko is really upset. She's very aggressive about it. She's like, I can't believe you were hiding like this from us. And she was the mastermind's lackey and like all of this very, very strong um, language considering she's doing the same thing or she was until the last case you know she is genocide jack's lackey she um has murdered a like so many people and sakura has never done anything violent you know so i thought it was really really hypocritical of toko to be like wow i'm so offended that you would keep something so big from us like okay girl like <laughs> i mean yeah and and it's you know, though, I mean, we often hate the things most in other people that are prominent in ourselves. That's really true. And I think this is a big case of that for her. I it's agree. so deep. Yeah. <laughs> so profound. <laughs> I try. <laughs> and also, Hina slaps Biakia. I actually got up and cheered. Like, I love Biakia, but, like, I was like, yeah, baby! Yeah. yeah. I don't blame Hina for that at all, because Biakia was being, and this is, like, I think for Biakia's personality. This is like the culmination of him being just like a total asshole. He's the worst he's ever been, I think, in this chapter. But then does it like shifts at the end, but like it it it's like he peaks in like assholeness, like just like how mean he is when he literally says, like, oh, like I'd be fine with it if Sakura died. Like she's just making trouble for us. Like, like, uh, yeah, he's terrible. And then Hina slaps him, and I'm like, yeah, girl, I would get really angry too if somebody was talking about my friend that way you know and i think he's still playing the zero sum game you know he's saying there's a traitor this game isn't fair you know like he even says that he says like it's not fair for this to have been brought in now it's not a fair game and so i think it's very very clear how much he sees this as a game he's not seeing it as people's lives at all um i think until the end when he realizes that someone you know, committed an act which has no benefit to themselves. Zero. In fact, negative, very, very negative benefit to themselves. And so I think that is kind of the throwing, like the thing that throws him off of that path. Yeah, because he realizes he's like, wow, maybe I was wrong. Self-sacrifice is a thing that people do. And I think in a way, you know, he says something along the lines of, um, after, this is jumping ahead, but, like, after he says, I changed my mind at the end of the trial, like, I changed my mind, I'm not doing this killing game anymore, but don't think it's because I'm all sentimental, or whatever, and I'm like, I wonder if maybe he was a little emotionally affected, because he, he loses his composure in the trial a lot, he starts, like, yelling, and he's saying, like, oh my god, like, what is going on, like, why don't I understand what's going on, and I think for him, it's, like, such a moment of internal conflict that he, doesn't know how to handle and kind of going off of that i have a point um that i wanted to talk about and this feels like a good segue um so kyoko so kyoko has been kind of mysterious and we've learned bits and pieces about her personality throughout the game but this chapter revealed a lot about her for me um and one of the things in particular is she says um it's what other people call feelings, Biakia. And she says it twice in this chapter. She says it once before the trial, like before Sakura dies and once at the end of the trial. And then she says not like something like not acknowledging them will come back to bite you. And the way that she says it, especially um, the first time, it sounds like she knows from personal experience. And so for a while I have like, you know, there's been a similarity. Like I feel like Kyoko and Biakia are almost two sides of the same coin in a lot of ways. Absolutely. And Kyoko is like, you know, somebody who has learned that lesson for herself. And even though she is like, you know, not always the greatest with being sympathetic and emotional, she at least can understand them. Right. And there's a um, Monokuma theater short called The Crab and the Monkey, which is referencing the um, short story of The Crab and the Monkey, um, which is about a monkey who kills a crab and then is later killed in revenge by the crab's offspring. Um, so the whole theme of, that's from Wikipedia. Thank you, Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> the whole idea of that story is like um, kind of justice kind of bringing um, a crime to light. And I think that there are two different 
ways that that story of the crab and the monkey can be fit into this case and the first comes up here because Kyoko is saying like you need to be really careful because it's going to come back and bite you in the butt. I think that is so interesting and I love that you have brought in like the Monokuma theater aspect to it because every time I see those I'm like what do these mean? There's some (laughs) deeper meaning and I've never been able to find one so kudos to you but thank you. I agree with you, Caroline, that I think she's speaking from personal experience and that she learned that lesson the hard way because she seems kind of like a more cold and distant person and she doesn't seem to be the most empathetic. I mean, even when she's interacting with Alter Ego in this chapter, it's like, yeah, sure, Alter Ego's a computer, but Kyoko is so blunt. Like, she's like, when Alter Ego's asking, like, oh, what happened to, like, Hifumi and Taka? She's just like, she types them, like, they're all dead. And then, like, it's really sad and and but I think that she something has happened in her past to make her learn that she can't always be that like cold and emotionless person because the people around her are not emotionless she has to understand other people's feelings right there's actually a line when they're talking to AI hero says friendship has no survival value instead it gives a value to survival and then it's silent and Kyoko's like Anyways, (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, <laughs> that part. it's so funny. And Hero's like, hey, give me credit, man. <laughs> I remember that. Yeah. yeah. And so one of the things that I had as far as like, I think a big theme of this chapter is the idea of like pride and arrogance and assuming that you're right and how that can lead you really wrong. And I think Byakuya is a really good example of this in this chapter, but I think Kyoko is a little bit as well. and. Kyoko was like my absolute favorite character when the first time I played this I was like I love her she's perfect I love her playing through this a second time I realized how deeply flawed of a character she is like she's kind of she's really mean to Makoto in this chapter and like she gets to be I mean she kind of gets on her high horse a little bit because she's so smart and she knows that she's smart and that's great like she can solve the mysteries but there's also something that stood out to me in the fact that when they discover Sakura's body and she explains like the four possibilities of the locked room murder. She doesn't at first realize that there is a fifth possibility, which was suicide. And I think that she honestly has some pride as well that kind of prevented her from seeing that at first. And later she does get it. Like she catches on during the trial. Like she knows what happened, but Byakuya is so in his own world of just absolute like exudes pride. And he's like, I can't be wrong. I'm always right. And that makes him, leads him to the wrong decision. And so Byakuya, I think, exemplifies that kind of like the moral of the story really well. But like playing back through the game, I'm like, Kyoko's not perfect. She exemplifies that a little bit too, because she has a lot of Byakuya-like traits that I think played out in kind of a similar way for her. So I just thought that was interesting as well. Yeah. And I think that maybe... I think that part of the reason that Byakuya and Kyoko missed that possibility of it not being a murder, but instead being a suicide might be how suicide is, might be because of how suicide is viewed in Japan. There are really high rates of suicide in Japan to this day. um, And suicide can be seen as like an honorable death if you're doing it like on the battlefield or if you're doing it to not get caught or if you're doing it, you know. Um, But because of that, I think it, can affect the way that people view it in Japan and in Japanese culture. And so I think it's important to know, like, that's a very serious thing, um, no matter where you are. But in Japan, it's viewed a little bit differently. And I think that because Byakuya and Kyoko might not have been seeing it as an honorable way to go, you know, they're thinking like suicide would be dishonorable. And so they don't consider it because it's just not possible. You know, like it's... Mm. Yeah, no, that is interesting. Yeah. In Japan, especially for Japanese men, particularly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a huge problem there. Like the rates are very, very high because of like, a lot of cultural reasons. Yeah. And if you're a listener, and if you know, um, more about this topic, like, let us know. Um, talk to us on Facebook, talk to us on Twitter. Um, yeah, we're always wanting to learn more. Before we find Sakura's body, Alter Ego decides to sacrifice himself, essentially, to find more information by being manually hooked up to the school's network, um, which they do by putting him in a 
locked closet. They're the closet in the boys' bathroom, um, I think on the second floor. And someone describes it, quote, as basically suicide. I think it might be Kyoko. Makoto, I think. Makoto, okay. Um, which is an interesting segue into the, into the case itself. Yeah, it's like mm-hmm. Sakura is not the only one who sacrificed themselves this chapter. Right. Um, and I actually have on here, like, what is the difference between an AI and a human? Because there is a pretty big um, discussion between Makoto and AI. Um, it depends on whether you're watching the anime or the game for who's there for the conversation. Um, but everyone's kind of like, wow, AI, like, you're our friend. We trust you, you know, like, um, we hope you escape with us. And it's a computer. You know, it is not a person, but it has programmed feelings, you know, and it's making decisions, it's looking for answers, it's improving. And so it it brings up the question of what, how can you differentiate between an AI and a person? A good question. And I don't know if it's a question that anyone can answer, really. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of Westworld, actually. Um, Which I need to watch. Oh, it's such a good show. I highly recommend it. All right, everybody, we're just going to take a quick break. Um, But before we do, we just want to let you know that we have a couple of places that you can show support outside of just listening to us. We have a Patreon where you can sponsor for as low as $2 a month. So definitely check that out. And it's very helpful you know, with us creating the podcast um, for to have your support in that way. We are also on Twitter. We're on Facebook, Ultra Hope Girls Podcast. You'll find us, follow us, and we're always updating stuff on there. Um, and we have an Amino, which is pretty awesome. And you can follow us on there. And if you have a question, let us know. Leave us a voicemail. Um, the link is in the description for both the Patreon and the voicemail. And we will be back after the break. All right, everybody, welcome back from the break. So I'm going to go ahead and get started and just talk a little bit about the body discovery. Um, So there is something artistically different with the way that we find the body. Um, Before, it's very shaky. It's very scary. The music is like spooky town, you know, and it's like, you know, you know that a body is coming. But this one, it's like she's sitting and she's smiling and the music is very peaceful and there is a light shining down as if it's like from heaven, like glow making her glow and that um that was just a very distinct difference um to me and i'm wondering because i watched the anime and so i didn't quite get the full experience the first time playing but i wonder if that alone is enough to kind of give that hint to the audience that you know this is what happened so caroline i think that's really interesting um the way that they describe her body and like portray the body um because i agree with you there's almost like a golden glow around sakura when we find uh, when we find her and i think that that suggests that she's at peace with her decision um to commit suicide when she does um and i know that there are some references on how she's sitting and stuff to other games and other um worlds and things like that But I think it's important to consider how the game might have changed if she'd stuck around because Sakura is the strongest one there, um, you know, and it would have been nice to have a fighter like that on, um, on the, on their side. It would have been nice to have a fighter like that on their side. Um, And suicide is never the answer. Um, I know that she's at peace and I know that they portray her that way. And I know that in Japanese culture, it is portrayed differently. But I just want to say to our listeners, like, again, um, please, 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 if you're having thoughts like this um, or you need you need help, reach out, get the help you need, because um, it's really important to know that people love you and people support you. And I think people loved Sakura and supported her and would have been there for her had she known that she had that support system behind her. Yeah, so I agree with a lot of that. I actually took notes on pretty much the same thing that Caroline did about saying the difference between Sakura, Sakura's body discovery and everyone else. Like she's lit up in this heavenly glow. She looks like a statue of like gold, really. And um, for me, it was like the vibe that I got was that it's not just some murder victim, like this is a hero's death. And so, um, but at the same time, and I want to like, and I I actually did a little bit of like mythology research because I found some cool connections there, but I also wanted to kind of add the disclaimer, like Marin said, that like suicide shouldn't be the answer. (laughs) And like, it's, it's tough because I don't want to 
talk about it in a way that glorifies suicide because right. you know we could say oh sakura's suicide that was her sacrifice that was like her way of becoming a hero but it's also kind of deeply problematic to portray it in that way because it kind of does send the message that like her suicide is what made her a hero and i don't think that at all right. I, I don't think her suicide in a way was was her downfall and she did help them she helped the rest of the group but i think her her greatest like i think what really made her a hero was everything she did for everyone in her life like honestly and so i want to kind of put that disclaimer on it at the same time as i wanted to explore kind of the idea of like the, the hero in sakura and right. um the little bit of research that I did was I, I actually found a little bit of information on Sakura's beta design, like before the game was released. And one of her original designs was that um, I, I found this, I think on the Danganronpa wiki that it described her as, um, so she has like long black hair pulled back into a ponytail and that along with her huge muscles, it was said, described her as resembling a Neo statue. And Neo is like a protector deity of like statues of the, the deity of Neo would you used to be put outside of Buddhist temples to protect them from evil spirits. And there's actually a statue of Neo in the art room on the third floor of Hope Speak Academy. And what? so I just thought that was a really interesting connection. And um, it kind of is like, and, and actually the, her last name, Sakura, um, Ogami in Japanese means deity. Like she's literally named after a god. And so in some ways, Sakura is like portrayed as a goddess. Like she is Neo in a way, like she's the protector of all the rest of them. And I thought that was really cool. But at the same time, I also wanted to add that disclaimer, like going off of what Marin said about like, let's be careful not to glorify those things too much. I really like what you said about her being a hero, being about what she did in her life, you know? I think yeah. that really nails it. One of the things that is revealed in this trial, so, you know, we have the hero, we think Hero did it, and then we think Toko did it, and then we think um, Hina did it because she is like, I did it, I'm guilty, you know. Um, and then, you know, we learn that it's suicide. Um, but so, Hina says something interesting that some of the other characters agree, agree with, which is, you know, we all killed her. It was all our fault that this happened um, kind of thing. Um, and, you know, th there were two blows made, like two attempts on her life were made, um, even though she was the one who ended up killing herself, you know, there were two people who clearly wanted her gone. Um, and I think a lot of the group could concur with that, um, that notion. And this reminded me a lot of, so spoiler alert for an 100-year-old book, Murder on the Orient Express. If you want, there's three movie versions. If you haven't watched it at this point, I mean, I don't know what to tell you, but it's one of the most <laughs> classic <laughs> mystery um, novels that has ever been released. Um, and Agatha Christie is like the queen of mystery. She came up with a lot of these twists that we find still to this day. So anyway, this is a spoiler alert for that. Skip two minutes if you don't want to hear this. Um, so the way that that novel ends is the there are 12 passengers on the train and there is a murder that occurs. And the whole time it's like the detective is trying to find out who killed this person and then eventually learns the truth that all 12 of them played a role in killing this person. And it was almost like a jury, like the jury decided against this person living. And so I wanted to bring up, right, because... All the murderers so far, the jury, which has been the other students, have executed them. And this is a scenario where the jury executed them, not in the trial setting, but in like a social scenario kind of way. And I just thought that the connection between that idea of like the murder on the Orient Express twist and then, the, you know, the way that this chapter is talked about with Hina saying like, oh, we all have played a role in it. You know, I think yeah. that that is interesting and definitely worth talking about yeah. yeah i think it's also a good time to note sakura's character um because she gets hit twice and then decides to take her own life um byakuya never goes to visit her which um i think at the beginning of the trial is not a surprise um you know i think he might have um had it been at the end of the trial but when toko comes out from hiding um and sees sakura who is covered in blood and faints, Sakura doesn't, like, leave or, like, 
you know, hurt the person who hurt her or go and try and get revenge on Hero. She, like, shakes her awake. Yeah. She, knowing that she will come back as Genocide Jack, wakes her up. Yeah. And that made me really emotional because this is, like, it was watching someone who just wants to be loved and just wants to be respected and wants to earn people's trust and she is getting betrayed over and over and over again you know but no matter how many times she's betrayed she's still trying she tries over and over to earn everyone's trust and it's super emotional i mean this is like desperation for trust and I don't think I've seen it portrayed that well in a game ever, you know? I'm out here crying in the club right now. Like, yeah, <laughs> literally. Right. And I think to my understanding, she had, when she decided to meet with Byakuya and um, Hiro and Toko, she had already at that point made the decision to take her own life because she had wrote the letter and everything. But yeah, it's like in her final moments, all she wanted was like to connect with those people and to help those people and she still couldn't get that like even god like she gets hit in the head with a glass bottle twice in a row and uh yeah i'm crying in the club right now i'm like it's emotional it's super emotional and i didn't like it's playing the game i i like didn't get the emotional impact from the anime at all and then playing the game, I, I was, I cried when I played it, like, in the ending se- sequence when she's writing the note, I was like, oh my god, like, this person really cared about these people, and that is, like, god, she is an icon. Yeah, and for me, it's heartbreaking under, like, learning that Hina going into the trial really believed that Sakura died hating them. She says that. She's like, Sakura died hating us all because Monokuma freaking swapped out the notes for whatever reason. And then, but then once they hear um, Sakura's actual note, Hina understands that Sakura did not die hating them. Like she died because she cared about them so much. And I don't know how I feel about like Hina's justification for trying to take everyone down with her in the trial to like avenge Sakura's death because Sakura would not have wanted that at all. Right. I mean, you know, you could say like Hina doing that is like <laughs> in Murder on the Orient Express if Poirot had condemned everybody to death there because it was his decision to not turn them in, mm. you know, and then this mm. is the alternate reality where... I think she's also, in a way, kind of playing by Monokuma's rules, um, because his rule is if you murder someone and you get caught, you have to die. And Hina, in her mind, knows that everyone murdered, quote-unquote, Sakura, you know, whether or not they did the action, they pushed her um, to, to death, you could argue. And so... In her mind, it might not be that evil of a crime because she's following the rules, you know. Um, yes, maybe twisting them a bit and <laughs> finding some loopholes. But but yeah, she's, she's really playing the game. I also wonder if her, her justification for trying to take everyone down, like Hina's emotions and whatnot, might have also come from a place of shame rather than of justice because I think she, over everyone else, felt responsible for Sakura's death. And I think she might have seen like just been so ashamed that she felt like maybe the only way to make up for that was for her to die and she knew that the only way for her to die in that trial would be if everyone went out and I don't think that makes it right but I think maybe it was coming from a place of shame yeah and Monokuma actually I think touches on that like he almost gives a hint at the beginning of the trial he says do you think we're going to lose one of you or is this going to be the end of your school days as a whole and i don't think he meant are we going to lose another one like the killer i think he meant are we going to lose sakura or is this going to be the end of all of your school days because he knows you know exactly he knows what's going on um yeah there's a little bit of foreshadowing there i found a quote that i in my opinion sums up this chapter for me <laughs> uh, and it might be you know Let's what's currently going on in the world is influencing this quote um for me uh just so audience knows um right now we are filming this episode during um the surge in the black lives matter movement um and you know there's a lot of discussion about like what is okay to like to do and like what what we should be doing to stand up um and sakura's quote this is from sakura because of course the chapter of her where she is the motive the killer and the victim should the quote should be hers and i have it says 
In the end, though, I hope to show myself through actions and not words, which I thought was, that was what this, what happened. (laughs) Yeah. And that speaks a lot to the time that we're living in right now. I agree with you. I agree. So another thing that I did, like another mythology connection that I found and a little bit of research that I did is what I noticed was there are Egyptian hieroglyphs all over the walls of this trial room in chapter four. And um, there's one picture on the wall that looks a little bit like Osiris. And Osiris is the Egyptian god of the underworld who judges the souls of the dead. And so people like literally go, according to Egyptian mythology, in order to reach the afterlife, your soul has to face a trial with Osiris as the judge in what's called the hall of truth. And your heart gets weighed against a feather to see if you are light, your heart is light enough for you to pass through to paradise. And it's like, that just feels so like, wow, to me, that feels like this is kind of what's happening in Danganronpa in a way. Like these, they're all going to trial. They all are being judged. They all have to convince everyone else that they're innocent. And that um, the goal, I guess, eventually is to escape from the school, which in their way is kind of like, that's like escaping to paradise. And so it's like, and, and ironically, of course, for a lot of the students, it turns out to be their, their escape is the literal afterlife because they die. <laughs> but um, it's, it's just a huge parallel of like the theme of truth and judgment that I thought was really interesting. And I thought the Egyptian stuff just connected with that really well. And I want to, the last thing I want to say with that is shout out to my sister Taylor, who helped me with some of like some art history knowledge, because she is an art history geek. And um, so yeah, and also she did our cover art. So shout out to her, yeah. the art queen. Ooh. But yeah, I, I found that really interesting. I love that. Holy cow. Can I, on top of that, I just made this connection. A very important aspect to this trial is the measurement and the weight of the bottle, broken bottle pieces, and oh, the yeah. intact yeah. bottle. And oh my God, you're so right. It's almost a spoiler of, you know, no, no. So they, yes, they survived the trial, all six of them, but like this is not the time that they're going to pass to the other world because this side is still heavier than the intact bottle because wow. two betrayed and they don't balance out kind of thing. And it would have been lighter if no one had betrayed. And so that to me tells me that in order for them to get out of this, none of the rest left can betray. Yeah. Mm, Betray one another. Yeah. Yeah. That's really good. I love that. What a great connection. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) (laughs) The last thing I had about the trial is on a little bit of a lighter note. um, This is your ultimate nurse Marin coming in. I I just want to talk about protein shakes. For just a hot second. (laughs) Please. Um, Yeah. Protein plays a pretty big part in this case in the switch up between, you know, the protein and the poison, which ended up being a red herring. But um, let's talk about protein shakes, folks. If you are an athlete, you should really only take protein if you are really, really working out constantly. Protein helps to repair your muscles um, and muscles break down during exercise. And if your muscles, if you're not working your muscles hard enough to break them down enough where your body can't regenerate the protein on its own, that's when you should take protein. But (laughs) otherwise, you're just hurting your kidneys. So like if you are, um, you know, sitting at home playing a lot of Danganronpa, you will not get muscular by (laughs) drinking protein shakes. You will just hurt your kidneys. So that's my little um, PSA <laughs> on protein <laughs> drinks. <laughs> that Thank needs you, to Nurse be Man. <laughs> Aaron, you're a star, brother. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, oh, you're welcome. I also, so you know, the execution this time is a little unique. It's alter ego is the, is executed. Um, but it's interesting because yes, it was sad that alter ego died, but to me this almost was a moment of there's a very clear shift in this trial of the dynamic of the group like biakia is like i'm not playing the game anymore which is probably like the biggest oh yeah shift of, yeah. of them all um also side note um my fave quote ever in the world how can you know what i don't know <laughs> I just, wow we stand so a legend um anyway but uh alter ego is executed and I kind of viewed that as a moment where you know this person is executed and yes it's sad but it's an AI so I'm not su- super heartbroken about it but <laughs> they don't 
this is a moment that they don't need that anymore. They've confided in this artificial intelligence, but now they've reached a point where they are able to confide in real people in each other. And the sacrifice of alter ego to me represents like that clear shift of like relying on what's out there and then relying on each other. And that is what that represented for me. And it's interesting to note as well that Monokuma says that he planted all the evidence that was in the files that Alter Ego uncovered. He was like, oh yeah, I knew you guys, like, I put it all there. I knew you guys would find it or something along those lines. And so it's like, oh, wow. Like, right. And I actually wondered that from the beginning because they found the laptop in a room that had um, cameras in it. And so there was just a small part of me that was like, he's not going to stop this. And you have the ultimate programmer here. Like, yeah. I, I kind of suspected that he knew about the laptop, but I was like, there's got to be a reason, you know? And I think Monokuma has been like slowly leading everyone towards what the truth is yeah. um, as part of his game. He also says right before, I'm pretty sure it's right before um, the AI's death. He says in one, I think it's in one of the Monokuma theaters, but he says, if you throw LOL in parentheses behind anything, it becomes <laughs> positive. And it was so funny to me because it's actually really true <laughs> like it's really hard to be like ah oh, the AI died lol and, <laughs> and like take it seriously <laughs> I don't know <laughs> it's kind of funny Sakura's suicide note we learn um something has been done to them but we don't know what it is the only thing I have left is that Sakura says in that note um that she will strike back um, and we don't know what that means, you know, um, she's, she's dead and she said that she has done something or has set something up potentially that will help the, the kids after she's gone. Um, so it's, it'll be interesting to find out what that is. Yeah, it's true. But yeah, at the end of this chapter, what happens then just kind of as to wrap it up, um, Kyoko walks into Makoto's open room because someone can't learn their lesson about locking their door in a murder <laughs> school Kodo. god he's such an idiot i can't believe you guys pair me with him that is another topic anyway oh, <laughs> i'm just kidding but um i um she walks in and she's like meet me in the data lab and then they go and then monokuma catches them and we don't really know why but then at the end hyoko whispers a name in makoto's ear and it is mukuro Ikusaba. And we are left on that note. And 16th the, student. The drawing mm -hmm. of the students, they add like an extra body. Yeah, like seven question mark. Yeah, yeah, they like do. A, I love the artwork when they like tick down who's alive. Oh my god. That yeah. is so Just showing great. the death toll. Like, oh. Yeah. I'd like to give a shout out to whatever graphic designer came up with that idea. Yeah. <laughs> Genius. Whoever designed it, whoever came up with it, all yes. the things. Yeah. All right, before we get into bed, wed, behead, we have a fan question from Kiki. So here it is. Hello, this is kind of an odd question, but I wanted to know what you guys thought of Sakura's and Hina's dynamic. Like, because personally, I find it kind of interesting, but I just want to hear your guys' thoughts. <laughs> Thanks for listening. All right. Hey, Kiki, thank you so much for sending that in. Uh, we love getting your fan questions and we are excited to feature your question in this episode. Um, so personally, I think that they are um, very gay for each other. Um, <laughs> I made Maddie spit out her water. <laughs> um, yes. Um, I believe that Sakura is bi. Um, we learn in her free time events that she did at someone named Kenshiro, who is male. Um, so I do think she is bi. I don't know about Hina, but I think that she um, likes women because I think there's a really strong dynamic there between her and Sakura. They have sleepovers in each other's rooms. They are so, so close. Um, and there's like, I mean, to me, at least clear sexual tension. I mean, Hina gets a cut on her shoulder and Sakura about loses her mind um, in, in this chapter. Um, um, and I also want to bring attention to the title of the chapter in the game. This is in one of the translations, um, but it's called All All Apologies, which is a song by Nirvana. And I just want to read some of the lyrics from that song. It says, what else should I be? All apologies. What else could I say? Everyone is gay. What else could I write? I don't have the right. What else should I be? All apologies. So, um, not sure if that's what they were going for, but I think that's some pretty strong defense. 
Uh, yeah, but how, what about you guys? What are, what are your thoughts? I mean, I think dynamic wise, like, like their personalities together, I think really, really work because Sakura is very like, you know, she's very grounded and she's like emotional and caring, but it's in a way that isn't like, Hina can be a little off the wall. Sometimes she can be like, and let me just do a thing and like and you know with with um sakura dead we actually see like a very interesting change in her character um in this one moment i think she goes sort of back to her usual self in in fact a better version of herself after this case um but i think like she um loses that grounded half of her and i think that that speaks a lot. Also, you know, there are people who are going to be like, they're not gay, they're just friends. And, you know, there is a distinct difference in media with people who are just close friends and people who are um, dating. I, and I'm going to use an example from Lord of the Rings. Um, Samwise Gamgee and um, Frodo are often, people are like, oh, they're gay, they're so gay for each other. And they are, I do not interpret it that way because I think that anyone looks at like a close male friendship and thinks, oh, they're gay because, you know, they're emotional with each other and they care about each other. But like that representation, there wasn't a lot of evidence to support that. Um, Whereas with this scenario, I think there is enough subtext to support that it is in fact a queer relationship. It is at least in some ways a queer relationship, even if the two of them don't know it is queer. Like it could be that they have feelings for each other, but they haven't like been able to express that romantically because they just don't know what, what it is, what it is, what they're feeling. Can I just jump in real quick and read some more of these lyrics? I'm sorry. I just found this and it is holy cow, like the case. Okay. So it says, I wish I was like you easily amused. Find my nest of salt. Everything's my fault. I take all the blame. Aqua seafoam shame. Choking on the ashes of her enemy. And like, that is literally like something I could hear Sakura saying to Hina. I mean, holy cow. Like choking on the ashes of her enemy. I mean, wow. Nirvana. Good job. <laughs> I'm literally speechless. <laughs> but I... I wanted to to add on there and say, yeah, I think, Caroline, I agree with you. I think they do have a relationship going on. I had canon both of them as bi, personally. Um, I think that there are some things about Hina to suggest that she is interested in some of the guys in the game occasionally, um, but I also absolutely do not think that she is straight. Same thing <laughs> with Sakura. Like, yeah, she had a guy she was into before, but I cannot see Sakura as being straight. Like, I literally just can't. And I would hate to have that be, like, taken as, oh, she's just a stereotype of, like, a queer woman because she's strong and masculine and muscular, and that means she must be queer. Like, no, right. there are plenty of of strong, masculine women out there who are straight. Um, but I also think that it's... <laughs> Marin is flexing right now, <laughs> shuffling off those muscles. Um, but I also think that the way Hina talks about Sakura and the way Sakura talks about Hina just shows that there is so much more to their bond than just friendship. It's like, it really just feels like they are like soulmates. And Hina talks about Sakura in the most adoring way. It's just so cute. She's like, mm-hmm. oh, Sakura's amazing. Like, she can do anything. And then Sakura literally in her final words, like in her note before she dies, the final thing she says is addressed to Hina. And she says like, Hina, I'm sorry. Hina, I care about you. Like you mean so much to me. I'm so glad I met you. Like that is the last thing that she says. And it's just- Time for me to cry in the club. (laughs) I know. But it just goes to show how important they are to each other. And so I think that bond does go deeper than friendship. And I, I ship them so hard. I think that they are soulmates. And yeah, that's that's my take on it. That yeah. was a great club. question, though. Like, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you, Kiki. Yeah. And if you would like to hear your voice in a future episode, please feel free to send us um, a voice memo on anchor.fm and, and we will try and get to your question. Okay, folks. So now we're going to kick it off with a nice round of Bed, Wed, Behead. And we decided that for the three characters we'd choose this round, we would choose the three characters who are accused of um, killing Sakura in the trial. And so in order, that would be Hiro, Toko, and then Hina. So who would like to get us going? I'll go first. I have my answer already. I would Behead Hiro. Right, buddy? <laughs> Let me tell you, I, I, you're growing on me now. 
Now I'm playing it, but still, yeah. buddy, you're not up to Toko and Hina tier. Sorry. <laughs> um, I think that I would, I've said before, I don't think I could, I could be in a marriage with Toko because again, she's the worst version of myself. And so if I had to hear what she said constantly, I, it would be unhealthy mentally for me. So I would bed her, I think. And then I would um, marry Hina because I think she would be a good partner for me. Nice. I can go. Um, I think my answer might surprise you guys. Um, I would wed Hina. That's probably not a surprise. Um, a real gem, you know, we, we stand. Um, but I think I would behead Toko and um, bed Hero. I know they're giving me like gaping mouth looks. <laughs> but <Marin>. my reason <laughs> being, I am just more attracted to Hero. I don't think I'd really be interested in bedding Toko you know? And so That's like, fair. even though I'm kind of with uh, Caroline that he's growing on me and I don't like him. And I, he, I really hate that he didn't give Sakura the chance to like, you know, be a human and, and be a friend. But when it comes down to just like plain attraction, then um, he would beat out Toko. <laughs> um, wow. Whew. Okay. I know. I would, <laughs> Surprise. I was surprised. Yeah. I'm a little surprised. I think I have um, the same answer as Caroline, I believe. I would behead Hero. Sorry. he. I like him a little bit more than I did the first time I played, but I still mostly do not like him. And yeah, him calling Sakura Ogre just upsets me a lot. But um, right. yeah, so I behead him. I think I would also bed Toko and wed Hina. I really like Hina. I think she'd be fun to be married to. Toko would be a lot... I think to handle. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming to listen to our episode today. We had so much fun uh, recording this episode and we hope that you will come join us again next episode. Please check out our Facebook, our Twitter, our Amino. We now have a Patreon where if you are able to donate a small amount every month, we'll be able to get more merchandise out to you guys and more content. Um, and we also now have a Twitch stream uh, where all three of us are streaming games currently. Caroline is playing Aviary Attorney. I am playing Life is Strange and Maddie is playing Hotful Boyfriend. So we hope that you will join us there and uh, we'll see you next week. Bye! Bye. <laughs>